Oh, me arties. It's a Bible pirate Christmas special. I just couldn't resist. So here's what happened. I went to watch Star Wars and uh, being a Star Wars fan, I feel I need to review it. And as will become obvious as I review it, it made me think about the four different Gospels and the four Christmas stories. And as a Bible fan, I need to review those too. So it's all going to come out in this Christmas special. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, A shorter episode than usual, but we'll return to the prologue of Genesis in January. Okay, so Star Wars. Uh, First of all, I just need to say this episode is going to contain spoilers, uh, both about Star Wars and about the Christmas story. So if you haven't engaged with either yet and you don't want to know what happens, then look away now. Hit delete. Turn it off. Run for the hills. So the thing that's really interesting about this Star Wars is at the time of recording, uh, it's early days, but on the Rotten Tomatoes website, which has a critics review score and then just a general audience review score, the critics have it at something like 93%, which is just an overwhelming majority who gave it a positive review. But the general audience score is around 53, 54%. So it's really divided opinion. That difference between critics and ordinary people is one of the biggest in the history of film but it seems it's particularly among the fans that opinion is most split much as the Christmas stories seem to completely divide opinion and this isn't talked about at Christmas and so I want to talk about it on the Bible Pirate podcast because you've got four different accounts four completely different Christmas stories. In fact, it's one of the few areas in the Gospels where the story is completely different in each of the four Gospels. Often there's lots of similarities between, you know, Matthew and Mark, and then Luke's quite similar. I mean, John's just weird. But when it comes to Christmas, they're completely different. Uh, Divided fan opinion, I think, about what were people expecting? This is the thing that seems to have uh, driven Star Wars fans crazy. There were all of these fan theories about, you know, who was Snoke, about who was Rey's parents, different things they expected to happen in the film, and none of them happened. None of them were true. So the film totally defied the expectations of the fans. And that seems to be the reason why people's reactions are so split. So the people that wanted Star Wars as we know it are upset, but the people that are happy with a rewrite, a reimagination, are loving it. When the Gospels were written in the first century, uh, they were hardly box office hits because the Christian community was pretty small at the time. But Mark's Gospel is the first to emerge from within this kind of hardcore Jewish sect, this fan community from within the tradition of the Hebrew scriptures who seemed to be totally obsessed with this figure called Jesus and the way that he totally reframed the story. So the entire idea of the Christian Gospels is an incredible fan riff. It's like a fan community gone rogue, taking the story in a totally unexpected different direction. But Mark really doesn't do Christmas. No, he is in fact the Scrooge of Christmas because he goes straight in with Jesus as an adult, going to John the Baptist and being baptised in the River Jordan. So there's literally no shepherds, no wise men, no journey to Bethlehem, no no room at the inn and so on. That all comes in the other Gospels. So that's actually the first Gospel and the first Gospel has no Christmas. But it's still completely incredible, right? I mean, nothing can ever recreate the experience of A New Hope. Coming into the world with an entirely new genre of film, nothing can ever recreate that moment when Mark's gospel does the rounds. Everything else, everything else since is just derivative. 
But like the Empire striking back and the Jedi returning, Matthew and Luke power in with some interesting and frankly startling plot developments. Now the Christmas story in Matthew's Gospel is an amazing work of fan fiction and I talked about this in the very first Bible Pirate episode. So you've got the genealogy of Jesus that goes right down from Abraham to Joseph although it turns out that Joseph isn't actually Jesus' father so we're trying to establish who Jesus' parents are and it's still not really clear. So at least we know Mary is his mother but as to who his father is... Well, I think it's supposed to be God. But even so, we've still got a big list all the way down from Abraham to Joseph, just to show that he's in the line of King David. Except he's not really. It's enough to make the fans go wild with all their theories. But we've got this whole story. Right? That is the whole Old Testament story. Abraham to David, David to exile, exile to Jesus. And then, as I said in episode one, you've got this whole fan fiction riff where you've got the parallel between Abraham and Sarah where they couldn't have children, but then they did in a miracle. And you've got the Virgin Mary having a child, another miracle. You've got David born in Bethlehem, Jesus born in Bethlehem, David, the great king, Jesus visited by the astrologers from the east who present him with gifts like a king and call him the king of the Jews. And then you've got Jesus, Joseph and Mary having to flee to Egypt in exile and then returning like the exile to Babylon in the genealogy. So the whole thing is a big fan work on that Old Testament story. Mark begins the Jesus fan movement and then Matthew develops it with his own story of Christmas. But it's pretty divisive. I think the Christian community would have given it 54% on Rotten Tomatoes. Why? Because Mark's story is really clearly anti-imperial. I mean, it challenges the very idea, not just of the Roman Empire, but of empire itself. The idea of power is introduced in chapter 1, verse 1 of Mark with, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel, the evangelion, the proclamation by Caesar's ambassadors that his kingdom is advancing. Jesus, the Messiah, the revolutionary and the son of God, the title that Caesar used to give his reign divine legitimacy. These are all set up in chapter one, verse one. But by the end of the gospel, in this confusing ending, which every single Bible says, uh, we don't really know what the ending really was. Well, the original is this story of vulnerability, the women whose testimony and court of law wouldn't even count go to the tomb to anoint Jesus body and they find that the stone is rolled away and he's not there and there's just a man in white linen cloth saying he's risen he's gone ahead to Galilee go and tell the other disciples and the women run away from the tomb and say nothing to anyone because they're so scared and that's the end so understandably somebody thought they should write a better ending so they come up with the next bit which is you know you're going to drink snakes and eat scorpions and throw fireballs and you know you'll be victorious to the end of the world and that's the one that's not really from the original that was added later and so we're left with this question you know which ending do we actually want do we want the vulnerable confused one or do we want the victorious go out into all the world and preach the gospel and everything will be fine one. So Mark sets up not just a challenge to Caesar, but a challenge to the idea of power of domination itself. But Matthew comes in with a totally different fan approach because he wants to reassert the empire of David. This great story in the history of Israel where David was a great king and his son Solomon extended the empire and built the great temple in Jerusalem. 
And so Matthew wants to make Jesus the son of David. So he creates this genealogy and he has the Magi from the east come and worship Jesus and offer him gifts as the son of David. And that's why Herod is so crucial to the story because the Magi say to Herod, we've seen the star rise of this new king of the Jews and Herod and everyone in Jerusalem are terrified because that's the last thing they want. They have invested their entire political careers into making peace with Rome and doing pretty well out of the arrangement and for astrologers to come from Persia and say that we've seen the star rising of a new king of the Jews just spells trouble. So it's a major moment of drama that demands this kind of showdown with Rome. I mean it's got to happen at some point if this story is going to move forward. But in contrast with Mark's gospel, Matthew can't drop the dream of an empire. The call of the dark side is just too great. And then there's Luke. Luke's gospel, I mean, not Luke Skywalker. His story is totally different. Luke has nothing about King Herod. There's no exile to Egypt. There's no slaughter of the innocents. And there's no visiting astrologers from Persia. Instead, Luke's story is an even more extended one to confound the fans and throw them into confusion. So Luke begins his story with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Elizabeth is Mary's cousin and Zechariah is a priest in the temple. And this particular year he draws the lot to go in and offer the incense before Yahweh. And he has this kind of experience that, to be honest, reminds me of Kylo Ren kneeling before Snoke with this kind of great image arising out of the haze, almost like some kind of hologram as an angel appears on the right hand of the altar and speaks down to Zechariah that he's going to have a son, even though he and his wife can't have children. It's interesting reading the Gospels how we tend to always imagine the God figure as good. And actually to read those scenes of gods and angels appearing as a kind of dark side manifestation and how that changes the reading of the story is quite an interesting exercise. So Elizabeth does become pregnant and while she is the same angel, Angel Gabriel, visits Mary and says you are going to have a son. The Holy Spirit is going to come on you and overpower you. It's confusing language to be honest. Is that protection or overpowering? Is this a choice or not a choice? But in any case, Mary leaves and visits Elizabeth. The child in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy. And when it is born, they call it John and he goes on to become John the Baptist. So the entire first chapter of Luke is really devoted much more to John the Baptist than it is to Jesus. He is a crucial part of that Christmas story for Luke's telling. And then we have the story of the journey to Bethlehem because of the census carried out by Caesar Augustus. And Mary and Joseph can't find room at the inn, but eventually Mary is able to give birth in a stable and the shepherds come to visit. So this is not the story for the fans that want a king. This is a story for the fans on the outside. Mary's song when she finds out she'll give birth to this son is to celebrate the idea that it's the poor, it's the marginalised, it's the trodden down who will rise up. And it's the shepherds who come to the birthplace in Bethlehem. It's not the astrologers from the east. There is no star to herald change in the skies to undermine the confidence of kings. Instead, there are angels and marginalised shepherds on hilltops. And a story of courage on behalf of those at the edges of empire. But we're now even further from Mark's original fan franchise. The story shifted, reimagining the sacred community as those on the edges of economic existence. 
turning the table on the powerful because of wealth, Luke's Christmas story is about the economically excluded, whereas Matthew's was about the religiously excluded, the astrologers, the foreigners from the East. And where these foreign stargazers bring a challenge to the political order, in Luke's story, the challenge is to the economic order. Two ways of being in the world, two ways of imagining the world that can't ever be separated, but the focus is different, and so the story is different. And some fans are satisfied and others are frustrated. And then, oh my word, there's John and the word that was with God and was God and was with God in the beginning and through whom all things come into being. And immediately we are in fact all back in Genesis in the beginning. Because this is the great fan riff to the prologue to Genesis. Riffing with Philo and the Jewish Hellenistic tradition. Philo reinterpreted the Jewish tradition in relation to Greek Stoic thought, in which the Logos, the Word, was the bridge, the creative agent, the bridge, the pure divine world of God and the shoddy, dirty world of matter. But John is having none of it. The Logos is not some creative agent that mediates in that way. The Logos is God. The Logos was there right in the beginning, making everything. And in the most blisteringly incendiary move, the Logos becomes a human being, literally shrouded in human flesh, embodied in a walking, talking human being. It's John that gives us the great fan heresy of the incarnation, of God as a human being. And so these four fan traditions in the Gospels are constantly pushing for supremacy with their own story to tell. They're not always contradictory, but sometimes they really are. And they push for a different narrative. Just like in the Star Wars universe, different fan groups assert their dominance in different ways through different stories that unfold in different films. So anyway, I did promise you a review of The Last Jedi. One of the parts of the Old Testament story on which all of these four Gospels riff, that I think is the most conflicted as a result of these four different tellings, is the idea of who is God. What part does God play in the story? Is God entirely good or bad? Or really, more subtly, is God's power good or bad? In a clearly anti-imperial setting, how do we relate to questions of power? For me, similar questions play out in The Last Jedi, as the entire Star Wars narrative has had to wrestle with how do we talk about the Force? What even is the Force? The thing that really has confused me is the idea that there's a Jedi Order wanting to restore balance to the Force, but at the same time constantly championing the light side. In Star Wars fandom, there is a light side called Ashla, but in the films really it gets referred to as the Force. So the Force is in opposition to the dark side, and yet there needs to be balance. That, it seems to me, is the essential confusion about the Force which enables the plot to develop. It's like the Jedi are desperate that nobody goes to the dark side, and yet at the same time, the idea of balance is a balance between light and dark. And there's a way of, I think, reading particularly the, uh, the prequels, that is a story of the hubris of the Jedi and how their obsession at holding back darkness masked the very darkness they were incubating. 
that reading to me came out really strongly in The Last Jedi, particularly in the relationship between Luke Skywalker and Kylo Ren, or Ben Solo, uh, as he was before he became Kylo Ren. And this idea that Luke was so desperate to suppress the darkness in his student that he actually brought out the darkness. That the so-called obsession with balance is just a cover for a focus on the light at all costs. And that the cost of a focus on the light is in fact the growing darkness. That unless there is balance, unless there truly is light and dark, yin, yang, death, life, unless they live in harmony, then we can end up being swallowed by death. I lit a fire this evening because it's the winter solstice and I said at the darkest point, I light this fire in the hope of the light that is to come. This is the cycle of the seasons of death and life, of light and dark. And together in the cycle, they make up the world that we know in which some things must die and others must be reborn. And this is the narrative of the Force in The Last Jedi, that those things which have passed, the old order must go. We must let go. Not just we as fans must let go of Luke and Leia and Han, but that we must let go of those ideas about the Force which have become destructive and embrace a greater ambiguity, which is played out, I think, in the relationship between Rey and Kylo Ren. He is uncertain about his darkness, and she is uncertain about her resistance, but perhaps not uncertain enough. We'll see. It turns out that the future for the Jedi is still uncertain. What is the future for the Resistance? We don't know. I feel that when I'm reading the Christmas story, there's this new character of uncertain birth on whom all these hopes are pinned. Is there a challenge to the idea that just if only a god could rule again, then everything would be okay? The idea most critiqued by Star Wars and I wonder if, as in Mark's gospel, the idea most critiqued by a resurrection is a site of both vulnerability and resistance, death and life, darkness and light. I feel like the solstice is very significant for me this year, as is Christmas, as a moment of darkness. I'm not saying I want to join the dark side. I'm saying I feel like we're already in the darkness. For me, this year has felt dark. I feel like we're in dark times in the world. Respect for people's rights. The liberties that people have died to win are being eroded. Power is being concentrated into the hands of a few and used badly. It's hard to know where the light comes from. And yet, if there is any balance in the force, then somewhere in the darkness there is hope. In the crowded, stinking, starlit night of a stable, a forgotten place on the edge of an empire, the new hope is born, the hope for a life to transform the darkness and emerge as a symbol of death among the living. This is the force at its best in cycles of life and death, in balance where darkness and death must be encountered and acknowledged, even embraced, in order for light not to dominate. The dark side is not only evil. The dark side of the moon is the only space that is free from the surveillance of the sun. It is the only free place from the power of the light of the empire. Like all language, light and dark have the power to become the politics of a charade, 
a way of claiming good over evil. The imperial forces of Star Wars are unusual in acknowledging their darkness. And as participants in that story, we should be wary of that fabrication. The all too dark is never only dark. And the all too light is never only light. But in the glimmering star of a night sky, and the soft morning light of a tomb whose stone has been rolled away, there is a light that emerges from darkness from the cycle of the seasons and the death that produces life, the darkness that gives birth to light. For me, a Star Wars Christmas story for our times. Well, I hope you all have a wonderful Christmas. That was the Bible Pirate review of Mark, Matthew, Luke and John and Star Wars. Thanks for being part of this podcast in 2017. We will see you next year for more stories beyond the horizon. Merry Christmas!